Hey everybody, Ari in the Air here, professional action sports athlete and podcaster. That's it. That's all I do. No, it's not, but welcome back. Thanks for being here. Today we're talking about letting go, the mechanism of surrender, the art of freeing ourselves from all the shit that clogs up our brains and our minds. And today we're talking about this because this is what I need, folks. And if I need it, the chance that you need it too is pretty good because aren't we just one and the same? So today I've got some wisdom from some great thinkers. We've got some of my own personal insights and anecdotes. Hope this is going to be helpful for you. Take a big deep breath, let it out, and here we go. Okay, so to kind of outline what I'm talking about here, I just want to read a couple of paragraphs, a couple of pages even, from the introduction of one of my favorite books of all time. It's called Letting Go, The Pathway of Surrender by Dr. David R. Hawkins. David R. Hawkins is an incredible person, and his message is profound. He's written, I don't know, a dozen books or so. Has a crazy story of his own personal life. He was a psychiatrist and had the biggest psychiatry practice in America for 50 years until he receded into his cabin in the woods for seven years of contemplation, reading, meditation, and then came out with a message that he felt that was worthy of dedicating his life to spreading while still continuing to practice psychiatry, mostly on the untouchable cases and mostly for free. So he's an amazing person. I recommend looking into him. And I want to read this because I think this kind of outlines what we're talking about. The struggle that we all have to make sense of our own anguish and to alleviate it through myriad means including repression and regression and and denial and all of these things and all of the seeking we do outside of ourselves, right? So he writes, While in contemplation one day, the mind said, What in the world is wrong with us? Why doesn't happiness stay put? Where are the answers? How do we address the human dilemma? Have I gone nuts Or has the world gone crazy? The solution to any problem seems to bring only brief relief, for it is the very basis of the next problem. Is the mind a hopeless squirrel cage? Is everybody confused? Does God know what he's doing? Is God dead? The mind just kept chattering along. Does anybody have the secret? Don't worry. Everybody's desperate. Some seem cool about it. Quote, I can't see what all the fuss is about. Life seems so simple to me. End quote. They are so scared they can't even look at it. How about the experts? Their confusion is more sophisticated, wrapped in impressive jargon and elaborate mental construction. They have predetermined belief systems into which they try to squeeze you. It seems to work for a while, and then it's just back to one's original state once again. It used to be that we could count on social institutions, but they have had their day. Nobody trusts them anymore. We now have more watchdogs than institutions. The hospitals are monitored by multiple agencies. Nobody has time for patients. 
Well, you say, there have to be some experts who have the answers. When upset, you go to a doctor or a psychiatrist, an analyst, a social worker, or an astrologer. You take up religion, get philosophy, take the Earnhardt Seminars training, tap yourself with EFT. You get your chakras balanced, try some reflexology, go for ear acupuncture, do iridology, get healed with lights and crystals. You meditate, chant a mantra, drink green tea, try the Pentecostals, breathe in fire, and speak in tongues. You get centered, learn NLP, try actualizations, work on visualizations, study psychology, join a union group. You get rolfed, try psychedelics, get a psychic reading, jog, jazzercise, have colonics, get into nutrition and aerobics, hang upside down, wear psychic jewelry, get more insight, biofeedback, gestalt therapy. You see your homeopath, chiropractor, neuro... Naturopath, you try kinesiology, discover your Enneagram type, get your meridians balanced, join a consciousness-raising group, take tranquilizers. You get some hormone shots, try cell salts, have your minerals balanced, pray, implore, and beseech. You learn astral projection, become a vegetarian, eat only cabbage. Try macrobiotics, go organic, eat no GMO. Meet up with Native American medicine man, do a sweat lodge. Try Chinese herbs, moxio combustion, shiatsu, acupressure, feng shui. You go to India, find a new guru, take off your clothes, swim in the Ganges, stare at the sun, shave your head, eat with your fingers, get really messy, shower in cold water, sing tribal chants, relive past lives, Try hypnotic regression, scream a primal scream, punch pillows, get Feldenkrazed, join a marriage encounter group, go to unity, write affirmations, make a vision board, get rebirthed, cast the I Ching, do the tarot cards, study Zen, take more courses and workshops, read lots of books, do transactional analysis, get yoga lessons, get into the occult, study magic, work with a kahuna, Take a shamanic journey. Sit under a pyramid. Read Nostradamus. Prepare for the worst. Go on a retreat. Try fasting. Take amino acids. Get a negative ion generator. Join a mystery school. Learn a secret handshake. Try toning. Try colored therapy. Try subliminal tapes. Take brain enzymes, antidepressants, flower remedies. Go to health spas. Cook with exotic ingredients. Look into strange fermented oddities from faraway places. Go to Tibet. Hunt up holy man. Hold hands in a circle and get high. Renounce sex and going to the movies. Wear yellow robes. Join a cult. Try the endless varieties of psychotherapy. Take wonder drugs. Subscribe to lots of journals. Try the Pritkin diet. Eat just grapefruit. Get your palm red. Think new age thought. Improve the ecology. Save the planet. Get an aura reading. Carry a crystal. Get a Hindu sidereal astrological interpretation. Visit a trans medium. Go for sex therapy. Try tantric sex. Get blessed by Baba somebody. Join an anonymous group. Travel to Lourdes. Soak in the hot springs. Join Arika. Wear therapeutic sandals, get grounded, get more prana, and breathe out that stale black negativity. Try golden needle acupuncture. Check out snake gallbladders. Try, try chakra breathing. Get your aura cleaned. Meditate in Cheops, the Great Pyramid in Egypt. You and your friends have tried all of the above, you say? Oh, the human. You wonderful creature. Tragic comic, and yet so noble. Such courage to keep on searching. What drives us to keep looking for an answer? Suffering? Oh, yes. Hope? Certainly. But there is something more than that. Intuitively, we know that somewhere there is an ultimate answer. We stumble down dark byways into cul-de-sacs and blind alleys. We get exploited and taken, disillusioned, fed up, and we keep on trying. Where is our blind spot? Why can't we find the answer? We don't understand the problem. That's why we can't find the answer. Maybe it's ultra simple, and that's why we can't see it. Maybe the solution is not out there, 
and that's why we can't find it. Maybe we have so many belief systems that we are just blinded to the obvious. Throughout history, a few individuals have reached great clarity and have experienced the ultimate solution to our human woes. How did they get there? What was their secret? And why can't we understand what they had to teach? I'm going to skip down a bit, too. Confusion is our salvation. For the confused, there is still hope. Hang on to your confusion. In the end, it is your best friend, your best defense against the deathliness of others' answers, against being raped by their ideas. If you are confused, you are still free. If you are confused, this book is for you. What's in this book? It tells of a simple method to reach great clarity and transcend your problems along the way. It's not by finding the answers, but by undoing the basis of the problem. The state reached by the great sages of history, Jesus and Buddha and Krishna, is available. The solutions are within us and easy to find. The mechanism of surrender is simple and the truth is self-evident. It works during daily life. There is no dogma or belief system. You verify everything for yourself so you cannot be misled. There is no dependence on any teachings. It follows the dicta of know thyself. The truth shall set you free and the kingdom of God is within you. It works for the cynic, the pragmatist, the religionist, and the atheist. It works for any age or cultural background. It works for the spiritual person and the non-spiritual person alike. So, I love that. I love those first paragraphs, those first two pages. They just, it's almost like, it's almost like a jar, uh, a George Carlin rant, right? It's like this, this long list of all the things that we try to do to fix ourselves, to find the answers. And it frames it in a way that the answers will never do it for us because we actually have to undo the basis of the problem to have any kind of lasting relief. Which, I guess we're getting closer to the point here. In my own life, I find that I'm on a roller coaster of emotion. I am, I find myself in the most surreal, most unimaginable, incredible human experiences of paragliding hundreds of miles or jumping off huge cliffs into powder snow or walking across the world's longest slack lines. And these things bring me immense joy and deep meaning in my life. But then two weeks later, I can find myself unhappy with my relationships, confused about my purpose and my direction, unsure about my own worth, my value, struggling with existential angst as to where I'm going to make my money, what my future looks like, drowning in my fear of scarcity that I don't have enough, that I'm not enough, that I won't be enough, and that I won't have enough. For the most part, I don't do the vast majority of the things that he listed as far as trying to balance my chakras. I'm a man, and I find myself particularly masculine within the subgenre of humans, of manhood, and I would say that most men tend to use denial or repression as opposed to having my auras cleaned or going to try to find a light and crystal healer. And so I end up just pushing through those times where I'm down in the valley while I look forward to the times where I'm back up on the mountaintop. I think that most of us are aware of the ideas or the reality of psychosomatic physical disorders. Disorders that start in your brain and manifest in your body. 
For hundreds, if not thousands of years, certainly thousands, people have known that if you don't freely express what's on your mind, both your words and your bowel movements will become congested, constipated. That the state of your emotions and the state of your digestion are closely interdependent. We know the stories of worrisome mothers who worry themselves into cancer. I think we all inherently know that our diet of thoughts is as important for our physical well-being as our diet for food. And if you haven't yet come to that realization, then start writing down your diet of thoughts on any given day and start writing down your mental well-being and your physical well-being in correspondence to those things and start to try to suss out any connection that you have there. I am about 18 months into accepting the reality that my diet of thoughts is a powerful manipulator of my physical and mental well-being, so I don't stand on a very tall soapbox or throne when I recommend you take up that kind of awareness. So, I guess I'll talk a little bit about what that method actually looks like, what it looks like in practice, how to do it. Because I think that we all know that we need this. I think we all have unprocessed emotions. And I think that stress comes from unprocessed emotions. It doesn't come from outside of ourselves. And... Furthermore, those things can translate into illness, both mental and physical. And I think that most people, when they start to encounter this kind of thought, their initial resistance will be that they don't need it because they are not traumatized, that they weren't raped, that they weren't that their parents weren't murdered, that they didn't have big things to go through, that there's nothing huge on their docket that they need to transformationally heal. And the reality is that the small things add up. It is the unprocessed emotions, not the, not only the unprocessed, unprocessed trauma that we actually have to let go of. the end result finds us in a state of surrender that allows us to accept reality for exactly as it is and cut our egoic attachments to the way we think or want things to be. If you think of the state of Buddha, think of the state of the Buddha. In Zen, they talk about your own Buddhahood, the part of you that can be as the Buddha is. Your own Buddhahood. Compare this Buddhahood, this living, breathing state of surrender, with your own state. For a long time, it was very difficult for me to imagine this because I was grossly unaware of exactly my own state, and I still find myself in periods of near-complete unawareness of my own emotions and the way that I feel and why I feel that way, right? So my emotional roller coaster that I try to get off of is nearly impossible because sometimes the roller coaster disappears and I'm not on a roller coaster. This is reality, right? This just becomes reality. My mind makes up the construct that it really is real. 
the external realities justify my internal states of being when they never actually do. And... <laughs> it's like, it's the best and worst thing ever. It's the best and worst thing ever. Because if you imagine that for you to admit that all of the bullshit stories, all the justifications of the way you feel and the way you act, if all of those justifications became <laughs> bullshit, poof. What happens to your narrative? What happens to your story? What happens to your identity? What happens to your identity with the struggle, right? We identify with our struggle. Our struggle is ours. But as we strive for more and more peace in our lives, we have to be open to the reality that we might have to divorce ourselves entirely from the story that we've been telling about ourselves, that we'll have to rewrite the identity story that we have with ourselves. And to begin doing so, we have to let go of the story that we've been telling ourselves and other people for so long. The story of our struggle, the story of our past, the story of our future. I think if you're probably listening still, 23 minutes into this podcast, then you're probably not so resistant to the idea that you have to let go of some of your emotions that you click to another podcast. And I would honor you for that commitment, for even that subtle and maybe temporary admittance that there are things inside of you that you don't want in there that you're holding on to that you can't let go of. And if only you could just read a book called Letting Go to let go of them. It doesn't necessarily work like that. It's not poof every time. It's this process. It's a commitment to surrendering over and over and over, right? Last year, I had a big birthday party in a cave. It's an overnight party, lots of loud music, lots of fire, lots of dancing, lots of lights, laughter and love and friendship. And before we ingested any kind of conscious-altering substances, we did this little ceremony that... I certainly didn't come up with on my own and is in no way original, but I had everyone take a piece of paper and a pen and try to write down what it was that was stuck inside of them, that they were hung up on, that they were ashamed of, that they wanted to move past. We wrote these things down. There was no limit to what, how much you could write or how little. It could be one word or it could be a whole list and then we took those pieces of paper and we crumpled them up and we put them in the fire and we watched them burn. And as we watched them burn, we tried to allow ourselves to let go of those things. And I gave everyone a moment there. And after all of the paper had burnt to ash and blown away, I apologize for misleading everyone because the reality of letting go is that when you recognize in yourself something that you want to let go of and you commit to letting go of it, you are essentially asking the universe to poke you right there until it stops hurting. And of course, what I wrote down on my paper and threw into the fire arose in me not 15 minutes later. <laughs> I said, what the fuck? No, I just threw that into the fire. I just did the whole thing. I let go of that. And there it was. And so I thought to myself, well, if you're going to let go of it, 
you'll probably get lots of chances. <laughs> and it's true. I did get lots of chances to let go of those things. They arise over and over and over and over. Just because you say you want to let go of it doesn't mean you'll never see it again. Just because you relinquish it doesn't mean that it won't arise in you again. You're going to get lots of practice in letting go of it. So, as far as a technical mechanism of surrender, how it is exactly that you want to imagine letting go of things, it starts with actually feeling the thing, getting your finger right on it. So many times in our lives we feel like we know what we're feeling, but given ample space and emotional awareness and maybe therapy, maybe a good listening friend, we come to find out that the way that we actually feel is not due to the cause that we thought it was, right? For example, if you're mad at your girlfriend because she has these outside relationships that take up so much of her time and emotional bandwidth that you feel left alone and jealous, then you likely blame the girlfriend and her relationships, when in reality the feeling that you're having is likely not enoughness. It is likely jealousy. It is likely a fear of rejection, a fear of abandonment. Right? It's something deeper than just blaming your girlfriend for her behavior. It's something inside of you that is soft, that is exposed, that is vulnerable, that you want to cover up, and you cover it up with something hard that is in the external world, right? So once we get down to that fear of abandonment, I have a fear of abandonment, I have a fear of not enoughness that manifests itself as the emotion of jealousy, once we have our finger on it, then the next step is essentially to feel it, to open up the vertical dimension of the feeling and to feel it in the depth that it actually exists and to not run away from it, not try to get rid of it. We have to relinquish even the idea that through the method of surrender, we would actually be changing something inside of ourselves, that we would actually be letting go of it, that we would have some kind of clinical result. We have to let go of that as well. And only once we find ourselves in a position where we can feel what we're feeling and we're not actively trying to run away from it, repress it, deny it, diffuse it, or fix it, and we've opened up that vertical dimension of feeling that we can actually feel the emotion at the depth that it actually exists, can we begin to surrender that feeling. This book by David Hawkins is about 300 pages and doesn't really give a step-by-step -step example of how exactly you go about doing this, but it's more implied. There is another method that is referred to as the Sedona method that was developed in Arizona that is another clinical method of surrender that in a very abbreviated sense, you could describe it as coming to that place of depth in feeling where you are not only have your finger on the feeling, not in an intellectual sense, but in an emotional sense that you're feeling this feeling that you would love to be free of. And then the Sedona Method asks a series of questions, the first of which is, could you let it go? Is it even hypothetically possible for you to let go of this feeling that you have? The next question is, would you let it go? Would you prefer to be free of it? Would you want to let it go? 
Or are you still addicted to the struggle? Are you addicted to the feeling, the story? Would you let it go? And if you could let it go, and if you would let it go, the third question is, when will you let it go? When will you let it go? The answers to these questions are not predicated on that you feel like you could let it go, that it's even possible to let it go, or that you would let it go, or that you should feel guilty if you wouldn't let it go, or that you'd feel guilty if you're not ready to let it go. No, these questions are helping you feel that feeling as well as put it in its place as a feeling that is arising inside of you and not your identity, not your story, not you. The surrendered state is your Buddhahood, it is your Christhood, it is your centeredness, it is an enlightened state. My beautiful girlfriend Alicia is a wonderful, wonderful woman. And one of my favorite traits in her is that she lives in surrender. That the emotional roller coaster that spares no one, the everyday emotional trauma and onslaught of the suffering that is inherent in existence, she is not immune to, but she is not identified with. She has surrendered to the reality of suffering, the reality of confusion, the reality of not knowing. The reality of searching and struggling. And by doing so, she can find herself much more frequently than myself in a place where she can surrender and let go and accept. And it is a powerful and profound thing to witness. It is a profoundly changing thing to be around. And it has certainly changed my life. So I would encourage you to find those things that are stuck in you. Get right down to them. And then just maybe ask yourself if it's possible for you to let it go. And would you let it go? And when could you pencil that in? Maybe right now. The physical experience of surrender is that of relief. It is literally relief. Think of a time where you lost or you thought you'd lost something very valuable, very important. You were scrambling to find it. The moment you lay eyes on it, you know it's not lost. There is this physical sensation of relief. It literally feels like weight being lifted off of you. You feel lighter. That is the physical sensation of surrender, of letting go. It is very freeing. I'll bet rare. Today, by recording this podcast, I'm just letting go of my own not-enoughness, that I have no credibility to advise you on your spiritual or your personal growth journeys, which I think is a total crock of shit. <laughs> so know that as I share these things with you, it is a part of my own process in rewriting the story of myself. The story of myself, as you could imagine, I'm in the middle of three boys, and I went to public school, and I am 
extremely energetic, extremely physical, extremely outspoken, extremely smart, way too cunning, super clever, crude and rash and loud and bold. I hate sitting still. I don't want to be inside. I question every drop of authority I've ever seen in my whole life. I was... the perfect recipe of a child to be absolutely tortured in public school. <laughs> and the story that I got over and over and over was that I had such potential, but I wouldn't, or I wasn't living up to it. Hmm. Still trying to rewrite that one. Still trying to rewrite that one. I've got some other things I want to read to you. There's another author. His name is Lawrence G. Bolt. And he wrote this great book called Zen Soup. It is a, as the cover states, tasty morsels of wisdom from great minds east and west. And in the chapter titled Letting Go, he writes two paragraphs about what he thinks letting go is. He writes, We can speak of letting go in two respects. Letting go in the moment, and a deeper letting go, or surrender of the ego. Letting go in the moment comes with the acceptance of insecurity, the realization that since life is constantly changing, there is nothing to hold on to. Holding on to happiness is one of the surest ways of making ourselves miserable. In fact, the only better way of holding on to misery... In fact, the only better way is holding on to misery itself. Each moment has its own lessons, joys, and sorrows, which can only be fully experienced when we give up trying to be in control and let go into the changes. On a deeper level, letting go means releasing attachment to the ego. The life of Zen requires giving up the notion that the desires of our separative egos will ever make us happy. It is not the failure to fulfill these desires that brings unhappiness. It is the desires themselves. In Buddhism, they are referred to as cravings and are considered to be the origin of all human suffering. In a universe of oneness, the ego struggles to maintain the illusion of a separate existence. In truth, letting go of the ego and letting go of struggle are one and the same. When, once and for all, we give up the struggle to prove that we are worthy of love or approval, the struggle to justify our experience, the struggle to hold on to limited beliefs and concepts of how things should be, we free ourselves to enjoy life as it is. I love that line that says, holding on to happiness is one of the surest ways of making ourselves miserable. Jason Silva talks so much about this happy-sad, this happy-sad, this when we feel this highlight of happiness, it's almost tinged, it's almost tainted, it's parsed with this idea that this sadness that at some point it will end, that it's fleeting, right? That our happiness will at some time go away from us. This happy-sad... And holding on to the happiness is the surest way of making ourselves miserable. The only way sure is holding on to misery itself. Hmm. Hmm. So in this chapter of Letting Go, he has a couple of really good quotes that he's collected. And I want to read a couple to you. To them. To them. I want to read a couple of them to you. One is from the Buddha. The Buddha, brah. The Buddha, brah. It says, 
do not cherish the unworthy desire that the changeable might become the unchanging. Do not cherish the unworthy desire that the changeable might become the unchanging. If I were to translate it, I would say that it says, Don't hold on to the foolish thought that what is fleeting will become permanent. Right? Do not cherish the unworthy desire that the changeable might become the unchanging. Take a grain Take with your perspective a grain of salt that everything is impermanent, that everything arises and falls, that you were born and you will die. Right? Just above it is a quote from Seneca, the great Stoic, who writes, No man enjoys the true taste of life, but he who is ready and willing to quit it. No man enjoys the true taste of life, but he who is ready and willing to quit it. Without the bigger picture perspective that everything is fleeting and that it is both meaningful and meaningless and all of this, no one can actually truly taste life unless you see it from the bigger picture of impermanence. Hmm. Hmm. And then the third and final quote that I want to read to you is from Williams Wordsworth. And he write he writes, Wisdom is oftentimes nearer when we stoop than when we soar. Wisdom is oftentimes nearer when we stoop than when we soar. Shit. Shit, man. Ain't that some shit. Wisdom is oftentimes nearer when we stoop than when we soar. Wisdom is closer to us when we're in the valley than when we're in the mountaintop. The truth is closer to us when we're in pain and suffering than when we soar. Not always the case, but often. Wow. The last thing that I want to tie into letting go is more of a practical application as to manifesting the things into your life that you really wish were there. I think that a lot of people, their resistance to letting go manifests in a sense of thinking that it's a type of cynicism, that it's a type of nihilism, that you are relinquishing all agency to your decisions, to your life, to your free will, to the things you can control, right? In his book, Becoming Supernatural, Dr. Joe Dispenza talks about this this force of resistance from desire. So like you have this thing that you desire so much that you want so much, but your desire actually blocks you from getting it. And I'll give you a couple of examples of that. So one is the rebellion that children face or that children put up against what it is that their parents really want them to do. Right? When parents really want their kids to do something, they're nearly certain that the children will resist against that. They will push back against that. Because resistance will always be met with resistance. It's like a law of nature. If you want to help someone, you can't want them to take your advice so much that you have a desire that provides something for them to resist against. 
You know what I mean? So, when you let go of things in your life that you want, you have this promotion that you want. But letting go of it doesn't mean that you stop doing the things that would make you eligible for the promotion. You just let go of the inner expectation that you have, that you deserve it, that the promotion gives you identity, that it proves to you your self-worth and your self-value, all of these deeper things that are underneath a desire for the promotion. If you let go of the desire to have the promotion, then you actually open up the universe to bringing that to you because you tear down the barrier of resistance that the universe would have to overcome for that to come into your reality otherwise, right? If you are a parent and you really want your child to do something a certain way, you don't tell them that you really want it, you embody it, you let go of it, you give them the chance, even just emotionally, in your mind, you give them the opportunity to choose it for themselves, and only then will they actually be able to decipher the truth and take it if that makes sense. The reality is that we are, we all should be aiming for the truth, but we end up pushing off of myriad influences in our lives. Sometimes it's our parents, sometimes it's religion, sometimes it's society and politics and, and you know, like a particular example that I see in society is feminism, that at one point women's role changed and should be free to continue to change and that every person is an individual who has self-ownership and can make decisions in their lives as such. That is the truth. But the things that they push against are the things that they push up against that lead them astray from the bullseye of truth are the stories, the anecdotes, the suffering, the addiction to the narrative of struggle, the oppression, the thing. So what ends up happening is that we actually develop a bit of man-hating. We actually develop a thought that maybe instead of men running society, women should run society. <laughs> you see? We go from one wrong, we fly way over the bullseye of truth, and we land at another unnuanced wrong. So, we want to break down the barriers that we have of our desire so that those things can come into fruition. And I don't necessarily have a firm belief that my own desires somehow changes the material world. No. I don't necessarily need to think of it as such a concrete thing that I still want to that I still want to implement that in my life. I don't need to think that okay, if I let go of these thoughts, then Jenny's going to want to marry me. You know. It's actually the mechanism of surrender. It's the letting go of these things that actually allows me mentally, emotionally to become the free person that I am and in doing such will be led towards what is my truest path regardless of whether it's Ginny and I. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, my girlfriend's not name is Ginny. That's an example. <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay. 52 minutes in here, folks. This has been a long one. 
and it's been one that's building up in me for a long time. I've had a creative block, uh, not enoughness, uh, all kinds of bullshit that's not true. Sorry for leaving you out here, but uh, I'm going to be recording more podcasts. The next one's How to Build a Relationship. So thanks so much for tuning in. Please, if you listen to this podcast, reach out to me. Ariantheair at gmail.com. What do you think? What do you want to hear? What are your questions? I appreciate that. If you want to donate to me to keep this podcast going, I'd really appreciate it. My PayPal is Ariantheair at gmail.com. You can just send me a 20 bucks. That'd be great. Really appreciate it. I don't have any sponsors for this show. I don't have any advertisements. I spend my own bucks to make it all go around and I'm happy to do so, okay? Happy to do so. And if you don't pay, I'm not going to take it away. I'm going to keep on keeping on. All right? Love you so much. Have a great day. We'll see you on the next episode.